Tonight on Huckabee, Congressman Mark Green on the border crisis. God's Not Dead actor David A.R. White. The one-wheel wonder, Wesley Williams. And Meatloaf! That's Trey Corley in the Music City Connection. And I'm your announcer, Keith Bilbrey. Thank you, everyone, and welcome to our show. Now, there have been some really big news stories this week. The total collapse of our southern border and the incompetent management of the crisis by the Biden administration, that's just one of them. It is a mess by Biden's own making. Look, he can't blame this on Trump. When Trump left office, the border was under control. Our stay in Mexico policy was working. The wall was being built, and the Border Patrol was being backed up and given the resources to determine if those wishing to cross over were criminals, drug dealers, human traffickers, or maybe if they met the criteria to come legally. Instead of keeping in place policies that were working, President Biden reversed everything. And the result is absolute chaos and an estimated one and a half million people being illegally released into our communities. Now, to be fair, Many of these folks will end up being hardworking, good living and God-fearing residents. Some will likely work really hard and become legal citizens. And while Joe Biden continues to pretend that he cares about protecting us from COVID, he reveals his dishonesty about that by insisting that you have the vaccine, but he allows hundreds of thousands of illegal immigrants to cross the border, settle into your hometown without being forced to get a shot, a COVID test, are ever to wear a mask. Hey, your kids have to wear masks in school. But I guess if you just told the school that your kids were illegal immigrants, they wouldn't have to. <laughs> Problem solved. Sadly, some of the young girls brought across the border are gonna be sold into sex slavery and treated like property. And others will bring with them illicit drugs that'll find their way into your town and may even kill someone that you know and love. And Joe Biden owns this. He supposedly put Kamala Harris in charge, but she's been harder to find than Brian Laundrie, the young guy that's wanted in connection with the disappearance and subsequent confirmation of the murder of Gabby Petito. Which, by the way, brings us to another story of the week, and that's the gut-wrenching story of that young lady. Her case captured the imagination of the American people. Maybe she reminded all of us with daughters and granddaughters that that young lady could have been our family member. And it was hard to imagine the pain and anxiety of her family. President Biden also made a mind-numbing speech at the UN where he tried to say that the greatest threat to our whole world is climate change. <laughs> he never mentioned the real threat to our world like the Communist Chinese Party, or the virus that they unleashed upon us. 
He never mentioned Afghanistan and our leaving behind $85 billion worth of military hardware to terrorists who are already viciously slaughtering people left behind. But the biggest story of all was one that the press yeah, pretty much ignored. It's the indictment of Democrat operative and attorney Michael Sussman, who is charged. Yep. It's the big story. He's charged with working for the Hillary Clinton campaign and the Democrat National Committee back in 2016 and lying to the FBI that then-candidate Donald Trump was colluding with the Russians. You remember them? Russia, Russia, Russia. Well, that outright lie was used by the FBI to smear Donald Trump as both a candidate and later as president. It destroyed the lives and reputations of several people connected to Trump, and it became the basis for a politically motivated impeachment process that was based on the outright lies of Sussman and others. But there were numerous others, including some of the highest officials at the FBI, Department of Justice, and the U.S. Congress that were involved in the scheme. Now, I say this is the biggest story because it reveals a level of corruption that is far worse than the entirety of Watergate and exposes the wickedness of the deep state, a deep state that protects bad actors in government, but at the same time will callously crush you or other citizens with the full force of the federal government if you ever become a political threat to their power. Well, there's a lot of important stories going on. The one deserving the most coverage is the one that hasn't had much attention. And it's whether our political process was hijacked by people sitting in the highest perches of our taxpayer-funded government while supposedly working to protect our Constitution and country. They instead lied to us, defrauded us, and did far more to overthrow the government than a bunch of overheated chuckleheads did on January 6th when they vandalized the Capitol. But don't expect the press to tell you that either. But just remember that I just did. The situation at the southern border, well, it continues to spiral out of control. Eight months into the Biden administration, and it's all going steadily worse, not better. Illegal migrants aren't being deported. They're being flown all over the country and right into our backyards. Congressman Mark Green represents the Middle Tennessee area in the U.S. House. He's also a medical doctor and a veteran. He says President Biden is aiding and abetting all of this. Would you welcome back to the show, Congressman Mark Green. Congressman, I guess my first question, are you having fun yet up there? Oh, my. <laughs> it's, uh, you know, there are good days and bad days, but there are days lately that are very concerning for the future of the country. So uh, while I love being in the fight, I'm, I'm concerned for our country. This uh, week was something that I, I was just stunned by. President Biden finally took a few questions from the press. I think four questions, all scripted for him as to of who course. he was going to call on. But when someone asked him about the mess at the border, he immediately turned and said, yes, those border agents down there that were on the horses, they're going to pay for what they did. And 
everyone who was actually there, and anyone who knows more about horses than somebody who sits on one at Walmart <laughs> and rides it for a quarter, understands that what was done was not whipping anybody, attacking anybody. It was the trained procedures. Sure. How does a person even stomach being a border agent when their own president throws them, I would say under the bus, but in this case, throws them under the horse? Yeah, Governor, I, I don't think President Biden knows the difference between a good guy and a bad guy. Mm. You know, he castigates these law enforcement uh, and then turns around and takes people who have broken our laws, puts them in hotels, flies them all over our country. Uh, he spat in the face of our U.S. Afghan veterans and then gave 85 billions of dollars of military equipment to terrorists. Yeah. They don't know a good guy from a bad guy. They, they want to defund the police, but give billions of dollars to the Iranians. I, they want to kill a child a day before birth, and yet you can't test shampoo on bunny fur. It's like their, their minds are just, they're, they're backwards. It's that, backwards. That is a great analogy, one of the best I've heard. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to steal that from you. Please do. Um, you know something about the good guys and the bad guys. Maybe our audience is unaware that you served in uh, Iraq and Afghanistan. What they may not realize is that when Saddam Hussein was pulled out of his hidey hole, you were the medical doctor who uh, first saw him yes, sir. and uh, performed the medical exam on him as soon as he came out, the first American that he had to deal with. So this is not new to you. You understand what's going on in the Middle East. How frustrated are you when you see the Afghanistan withdrawal? I, I think the biggest frustration for me is, you know, what it means for the future of the country. Now, I'm sad about my veteran colleagues. I've had to talk several of them uh, who, are, who are really struggling with PTSD, who, who feel now that it was all for nothing. Mm. You know, there, there's that piece of this that grieves my heart. But I'm really scared for the country. Americans will pay the price for this. And my son, other people's sons and daughters may very well have to go back to Afghanistan to fix this again. Just like when Biden and Obama withdrew from Iraq, the way they withdrew led to the creation of ISIS. That's pretty scary. Uh, what I don't understand, and maybe you can help us better come to grips with this, there is um, a budget proposal that the Democrats are really pushing, and they're going to plan to push it without any support from the other side, despite the fact they said they would never do that, they were gonna have a bipartisan sure. unity government. Um, there's some stuff in that budget that has nothing to do with helping the average American. Can it be stopped? I think it can. In the Senate, there are two senators that are actually Democrats that have both voiced that this reconciliation process for that much money being spent is a mistake. Mm. And uh, I think they both are telling us that they're gonna, they're gonna push back. In the House, what disadvantaged them is Nancy Pelosi pulled the procedure and paired the infrastructure bill to the $3.5 trillion sort of second wave or third or fourth wave, however you wanna look at it. That hurts her in the House, getting it passed in the House. So they have made mistakes in the House and then you've got senators who are saying, we're not going to cooperate. I think we're gonna be okay, but I don't wanna create hope I want us to keep fighting this thing uh, tooth and nail because it's going to be devastating to the economy. What is, on a scale of 1 to 10, your thought 
that the Republicans will unseat Nancy Pelosi as Speaker of the House by getting the majority. Nancy Pelosi will not be the Speaker in the next United States Congress. Congressman, you're a great doctor and a great congressman. I sure hope you're a great prophet. I'm a, I'm a prognant. <laughs> um, before I let you go, there's been an enormous amount of tension. This week, I saw something that was encouraging. Some of the Democrats pushed back against the squad on defunding Israelis' Iron Dome. The Iron and Dome. I was so glad to see that. Are, are some of them waking up and realizing that they've got some people in their party that'll drive them right off the left side of the cliff? There are quite a few who we can have conversations with and, and they share their frustrations with their own leadership, especially the squad right, yeah. that has really hijacked the party. Um, but then you get a vote like we had today on abortion. And every single Democrat, save one, voted to take the life of a child all the way up until birth. So a Goodness. day before, this is evil. Yeah. But that's, every single one of them voted for this bill, except for one had the courage to, to push back against his own party. You know, I'm glad you're there pushing back. Congressman, we love having you. Look Thanks. forward to having you back often. Thank you for Thank serving you, our country. By the way, keep up with Congressman Green's thoughts. You can follow him on Twitter at Rep. Mark Green. Also, visit his website, markgreen.house.gov. Keith Bilbrey, I think we've got quite a show coming up tonight. I'm going to let you tell all about it. Oh, do we ever. Up next, God's Not Dead star David A.R. White. And later, Grammy Award-winning singer Meatloaf. It's all on tonight's Huckabee. Sign up for his free newsletter and follow at GovMikeHuckabee on Twitter. Welcome back. My next guest is a successful actor, director, writer, and producer. And he's a founding partner of the world's number one faith-based movie studio, Pure Flix. He starred in over 20 films, his latest, God's Not Dead, We the People, is going to be in theaters October the 4th through the 6th for a limited release. Would you please welcome David A.R. White. <laughs> My guess is that a lot of this audience and a lot of our uh, people watching have seen the various uh, God's Not Dead series. Three of them so far. This is number four. Um, I think they've been brilliant. And they've told powerful stories that are very much like from the front page of the paper. So tell me what's going to happen in this one without giving away the whole plot. <laughs> but why am I going to be interested in this one? Yeah, it, you know, it's interesting how um, our goal, obviously, with this when we started was to make these films that would open up conversations about God in different ways. And, and the first one was, you know, it took place in the college campus. The second yeah. one was a high school. The third one reached in the community. And um, if you ever saw that great movie, Mr. Smith Goes to Washington, this yeah. is uh, kind of a, a tribute to Frank Capra, but um, it starts just with this family and their homeschooling and all of a sudden uh, the community, um, uh, they come in and they start asking, what are you teaching exactly to our kids? And, uh, and it, 
basically ends up, they try to find the parents for, for trying to bring God into, the, in, into their you know, curriculum. They want to monitor that curriculum and ultimately take God out of that curriculum. That so, sounds pretty current. It, uh, I know. I mean, that's really happening. This is not a fiction thing. That is going on. Yeah. Let's take a look at a little clip from the movie. That way we'll give us a picture of what it's all about. Here it is. There's been a development. We have a new chairman, a Robert Benson. I'm guessing he's not as friendly as Abercrombie. Hardly. In the direction out there, the narrative is going to change considerably. They are going to insist that religious beliefs are anti-rational, anti-science, and anti-social. Show them that religious beliefs are supported through rational thought, with a basis on the U.S. law and tradition. I think I have a card for that. And also, I need you to make them understand that if they insist on trampling believers' rights, well, sir, they are in for a fight. Yeah, I want to see that. I really do. I, I think one of the things I've appreciated about what you've done with Pure Flix and the God's Not Dead series, that the production value of the movies is quality. So it's not like, uh, you know, getting out a small video camera and shooting it at the church parking lot. I mean, you spend some real money on this stuff. Wasn't always the case, though. You know, we started early on, and, and, uh, and you do, I, I believe you're called to do what, what God puts on your heart and uh, to the best of your ability, and you start wherever you're at. When we f- first did our first one, it was a, a very small movie, but it went out and, and went beyond, and we continued to make those. And, and yeah, I'm excited to see, you know, there really wasn't even a, a faith-based entertainment industry. You know, none of the studios had these labels yeah. um, early on. And it's exciting now because I think people are realizing that there is a hunger for, for the spiritual content. And, um, and if you can make films that uplift and inspire the human spirit that ultimately connects people to a higher level to who God is and the purpose that he has for their lives then that's something that we're not getting in Hollywood normally. Well, I want to say how much we appreciate what you're doing, especially with Pure Flix, the broader brand, making wholesome films for families and uh, movies that people can watch without fearing they're going to be totally humiliated by the content of the movie. I'm looking forward to the fourth edition of God's Not Dead, and uh, it's called God's Not Dead, We the People. It is going to be in select theaters October the 4th through the 6th, you can get advanced tickets online at godsnotdead.com. Now, I'll tell you somebody else is not dead. Keith Bilbrey, he's alive and well over there, and he is going to tell us what we got coming up next. Well, next, the one-wheeled wonder, unicyclist Wesley Williams, and still to come, rock and roller Meatloaf on Huckabee. Wesley Williams' act has taken him all over the world. He has won international awards for circus arts and has become a sensation on top international TV shows, including things like America's Got Talent and Britain's Got Talent. This guy's got talent. Even Simon Cowell called him absolutely fantastic. 
That's saying something. Would you please welcome a performer that you gotta see to believe, the one-wheel wonder, Wesley Williams.
Wesley, you know what? I, I decided you asked your dad for a bicycle, and he said, son, I can only afford one wheel. Yeah, that's what everybody says. I mean, that's crazy. <laughs> I thought you were going to fall several times. I but know you must have at some point. Yeah, all the time. I mean, I learned how to do everything I know on the street with my parents. You know, I'm self-taught. So we fall a lot, but we get up a lot, too. <laughs> you know, I, I don't see any, like, major <laughs> scrapes or scratches. Keith would like to do a couple of those things on that taller one yeah. if we could bring him over. Come on yeah. over. Yeah. But it was amazing to <laughs> Thank watch you. Thank you so much. We're so happy to have you. If you, now, if you don't mind, if yeah? you don't mind, I got one more. Could I do one more? Sure. Just one more. I, I think we you guys should. You like to see one more? Yeah. 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 What is it going to be? I mean, I don't know how you top this. You just go ahead and sit down. Okay. Yeah, I'm not going to join you. I tell you... <laughs> That right now. Here we go. That isn't going to happen. Now, I do want to say to our audience, this may get a little crazy. And so let me ask our audience, if you will, hold your applause. And I'm serious about this. Hold your applause until the end of this particular act because we don't want to distract him. It's kind of nuts what he's about to do. So. We will hold our applause until the end. We will also hold our breath until the end. To see more of Wesley, go to WesleyOWilliams.com. We come back to the music of the Guess Who, American Woman, played brilliantly by Trey Corley and the Music City Connection. Well, October the 8th through the 11th, communities across the country are going to be observing the National Faith and Blue Weekend. Police and churches are going to come together. It is the biggest police community outreach project in American history. To tell us more, I want you to welcome the founder of National Faith and Blue Weekend, the Reverend Markel Hutchins, National President of the Fraternal Order of Police, Patrick Yose, and Secret Service veteran and past president of the National Organization of Black Law Enforcement Executives, Linda Williams. Welcome. Great Thank you. Markel, let me start with you. It seems like that there is a real divide in this country right now between a lot of just people in the communities and their police force. What do you hope to achieve by this weekend? There is no limit to the good that we can achieve 
if we have the courage and capacity to sit together and reason together, every faith-based organization in this country should be a beacon of hope to deal with issues around policing and the need for certain reforms, but more importantly, to cause law enforcement and communities to see the commonality, to see the humanity. There's been too much division and tensions on all sides, all sides of these issues. We have to turn to each other and not on each other. Because really, Mike, there's more that unites all of us together than there is that divides us. We have to cause our communities and our law enforcement professionals to focus not on the things we disagree about, mm. but the things that we agree about. And that's something that we need to do not only in law enforcement, but in our public culture, in our discourse, in our politics, et cetera. Beautiful, beautiful. And so very needed. I, I think it's very important that this is being done as a responsibility and response of the faith community, because if there's any group of people in our culture that ought to be ministering to those in law enforcement, it ought to be our, our churches. Linda, you were a longtime Secret Service uh, agent. You served as a police officer. Did you ever feel the hostility of the public like we're seeing it now? It, it, it's, it's troubling to me. You know, these are some perilous times that we live in. But when I was growing up, the cornerstone of the community was the church mm. and police. But mm. there was a mutual respect, and we respected authority. And of course, we had to realize that law enforcement is an extension of our very communities, that we are the guardians and not the warriors that come and occupy. So we have to build that trust so that we can get back to have that neutral respect of one another and respect the culture and the differences that make us all unique to contribute to the world that we're living in. Patrick, you know, there are hundreds, hundreds of thousands of police officers all over America. And on any given day, 99 and 9 tenths percent of them are doing the Lord's work. They really are. Every now and then, you know, something goes wrong. And it seems like that the focus is so spotlighted that people think that that's the way it is, that people are just being murdered in the streets by police officers. That is simply not happening, is it? Well, Governor, you, you're, you're absolutely correct. There are some 800,000 men and women who put on a uniform, a badge, a gun, and a vest every single day and go out and protect their communities. And it's not in their DNA to let bad things happen in their communities. And overnight, it seems that we've all been painted with this broad brush where law enforcement is somehow the evils that, that, that exist in this country. And that's simply not the case. Unfortunately, there are a number of people who benefit from this issue rather than a solution on both sides. Hmm. And so why this is so very important is one congregation, one agency at a time across this country, let's start building those relationships because the very powers as a law enforcement organization or law enforcement agency, those very powers that we have is directly related to the trust of the communities. Markel, you have a, a comment I think is very powerful. You say that we need to transition from talking about uh, police officers as warriors to being guardians. Show me that distinction. Explain that for us. Well, a warrior is more focused on the war where a guardian is there to protect and serve our communities. Mm. I think what we have the opportunity to do is take of the darkness that exists in this moment. We've never before seen the kinds of divisions between law enforcement and communities that we see now. But our darkest hours have always been before the break of a new dawning. Every movement for positive social change in this country has always been anchored in the faith community. One of the things that has troubled my consciousness, I've led civil and human rights uh, causes for the last 25 years all over this country, but at some point we have to turn our pain into power. Marching and protesting is one thing, 
but we have to focus not on the things that we disagree about. We have to be transformative. There's a lot of discussion now about the need for police reform, but the greatest reform we need today is relational reformation, how law enforcement and communities relate to one another. Again, we need every law enforcement agency, every faith-based organization to visit the website faithandblue.org. Thanks to the generosity of FirstNet built with AT&T and the Motorola Solutions Foundation, we've put it there. We've given the church everything it needs to be engaged and involved in solutions. We've had enough rhetoric. We've had enough divisions. What our nation needs now is solutions and resolutions, and the household of faith in local communities holds the answers. Long past overdue for something like this to bring the churches and police agencies together. And, uh, you know, I hope every pastor of every church in America and every police chief, every mayor will get on board and make this a reality for their community. If you would like to learn more and get involved in the National Faith and Blue Weekend on October the 8th through the 11th, visit faithandblue.org. Faithandblue.org. It's on your screen. And follow Faith and Blue on social media. We've got another very special guest for you after the break. And... I'm going to let Keith Bilbrey just break the news. Well, coming up, rock opera hitmaker and Grammy Award-winning singer Meatloaf is on Huckabee. does not want me to call him a rock and roll legend or a superstar. Just call him simply a singer. I got to tell you something. However humble Meatloaf is personally, his international fame and success uh, can speak for itself. During his career, he has sold over 100 million records. That's a lot of records. He has charted numerous massive hit songs along with a successful run on the stage. And you may not know this, in over 70 films. Would you please welcome to the show a very special guy. And I'm so honored he's here. Meatloaf! Thank you. Thank you for coming. Oh, Governor. (laughs) Go ahead, Meat, Meat. (laughs) There is a story... All I know is it involves a parking lot. It does involve a parking lot. Okay, I know what you're sitting up. So I needed to, I had a band, I broke it up, I went back to LA, I didn't have any place to live. The guy, I stayed in this guy's house and he goes, me. The guy's parking cars with me at the Aquarius parking lot where the musical hair is playing. He didn't get into all that, but I'm telling. He says, he's leaving. and. I'm making anywhere from $300 to $400, $500 a week. I go, what? This is 1968. You don't make that kind of, no, 69. You don't make that kind of money. And he goes, yeah, I'm working six days a week, six hours a night. I'm making, he goes, the guy's leaving, so come down. So I go, okay, we got to be there at 10 in the morning. 
So all of a sudden, a guy walks by and he goes, hey, Barney, how you doing? And Barney goes, this is my friend Meatloaf. He goes, this is Greg Carlos. I said, hi, Greg. He looks at me, straight up truth. He looks at me and goes, you sing? I went, yeah. He goes, well, why aren't you auditioning? There was a line around this building. Have you ever been to LA, the Aquarius Theater? Around, I said, I'm, and I weighed about 290 pounds. So I said, I wouldn't stand in line for food. <laughs> like that. So he goes, okay, you don't have to stand in line. He goes, come with me, I'll get you in. I said, are you? He goes, no, come on. So he, I go back and he sits me down in the back row of the theater and there's a guy, long hair, on a pillow, on a psychedelic, one of those, I don't know, mattress or some kind of pillow. He's in the middle of the floor, laying. And it's a director. This is 1969. It's hippie time. And so Greg comes back and says, okay, the guy sitting in the chair, you're going to, after that guy leaves, you go up on the set. And I go, so eventually I get up on stage. And they go, what's your name? I said, Meatloaf. They go, what? I said, Meatloaf. <laughs> And they go, okay. Did you, and the piano players, what'd you bring to sing? I said, nothing. I came to get a job in the parking lot. <laughs> and, and so I, I had learned from this gospel singer, this African American gospel singer, about two weeks before, a song called The World Is All Right, It's the People That Make It Bad. Hmm. And I sang, The World Is All Right, The People Make It Bad. I said, the World Is All Right, The People. I sang the first two lines, and the guy stops me and he goes, What are you doing tonight? I said, I'm hoping to get a job in the parking lot. <laughs> he said, well, what if I, you re, you're, not gonna, you're ready for this? He goes, well, what if I offered you a job in the musical? I said, well, what does it pay? <laughs> <laughs> he said, I'm not sure. I, I think it's like $187 a week. I said, they make more than that in the parking lot. <laughs> and he said, but if you do... If you do, you get $17. I remember he said, if you get $17.50 you get $17. for everything you do extra. I said, okay. So when I, eventually, I never did it there because the guy didn't leave. I went to Detroit and I made a little bit more money. But I sang Aquarius. I never was on stage. And then I eventually, after about four months there, they came to me and said, we want you to go to Broadway. I said, okay. So I went to Broadway and did Hair on Broadway in, in the 69. What a story. And so all started because you showed up to get a parking lot job. That's how I got into show business. I showed up to get a job as a parking attendant. You know, you're going to launch about 100,000 young men going to parking lots to be attendants now who want to be in the entertainment business in Nashville. If you want uh, to get your copy of Meatloaf's great music, and it is great, go to meatloaf.net. Now, right after the break, I get to play with Grammy Award-winning singer Meatloaf. You better not dare go away. After the show, go to Huckabee.tv for Meatloaf's exclusive online performance of Mercury Blues. And now, to perform out of the frying pan and into the fire and Los Angeles loser with Trey Corley and the Music City Connection with Mike on bass and featuring the vocals of Caleb Johnson, give it up for Meatloaf! 
I, I just, I'm going to say this before. Normally, they would have just started the song, but I ask them not to. And the reason I ask them not to is because uh, the gentleman that I worked with on this song passed away last April 19th. His name was Jim Steinman, and he was my brother. So I, before I cry, I got to play the song before I start crying. So I'm just going to, if you don't mind, we're going to dedicate this song to Jimmy. Okay? And the temperature's beginning to soar All around the city you see The walking dead and the living dead It's never been decided I've never been so bored And breathing just come fun anymore And I saw you like a summer's dream And you're the answers to every prayer that I ever said Saw you like a summer's dream And you're the answers to every prayer that I ever say Horse at the table racing like a runaway horse The subways are screaming and the skin of the street Is a gleaming with sweat Sitting on the steps outside And you were looking so restless and reckless and lost I think it's time for you to come inside I'll be waiting here with something that you'll never forget I think it's time for you to come inside I'll be waiting here with something that you'll never forget Just a moment. 
the drums, boy.
my baby and I dedicated it to her but now I say this to all you ladies out there that have shown a little love for someone such as myself I say thank you you've shown you've been friendly you've been you've just been wonderful you've been everything you could have been and I love you for it and without you I would do nothing at all. Loser.